Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? And today we're welcoming Jeff Reynolds. Jeff is former Multnomah County chairman. He is an author of a book. Yes, the book is Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. And I should point out, I wasn't the Multnomah County chairman. I was the Multnomah oh. County Republican chairman. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Two very different things. Right. Yes. <laughs> Don't confuse me with My Jeff bad. Kogan. That's, that's bad. <laughs> My bad. I misspoke. Uh, Two we different jo- Jeffs. We were joking about that beforehand because I knew I wouldn't remember that. So I was like, Jeff, let me just ask you to tell the name of your book. There so you I go. Can... Yep. Anyway, we've been trying to get Jeff on for a while now. Yep. Uh, just timing never worked out, and so we're glad to have you on. Yeah, you're more popular than we are. What can we say? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Guys. I appreciate that. I don't know if that's the case, but thanks. <laughs> I really appreciate being here. Well, we were we were talking at the Multnomah County Fair, not last weekend, but the weekend before, and Jeff says, I want to come on your podcast, and we're going to talk vaccines, and I'm going to be controversial. <laughs> so uh, that's what we're talking about today. There um, you go. So... Jeff, what is what is controversial about your stance on vaccines? Well, so I think that I had this perception that we differed on this issue, and we'll we'll sort of meander through this and decide whether or not we differ all that much. But uh, my thought on the House Bill thirty sixty three, and this goes back to the Senate walkout where they negotiate the uh, Republicans walked out to deny quorum to the Democrats so that they couldn't pass any bills, they couldn't conduct any votes uh, under Senate rules, and in return for them coming back and allowing the vote on the gross receipts tax, the Democrats told them that they would kill any gun bills or any uh, concept of gun bills and also the vaccine bill, which was House Bill 3063, which is the forced vaccination bill that people are calling it where they require vaccinations for elementary and middle school kids to be able to, or any kids to be able to attend school in the state of Oregon. Right. So... I was looking this up before the podcast, and there was already a law on the books that you had to be vaccinated to attend school, but you had a couple exemptions. You could either get a medical doctor's signature, or the parents could sign an exemption saying that they were declining the vaccination for either a religious reason, or they could take a vaccine class, which then allows them to decline the vaccine. Just as a as a quick little inside the actor studio, that's normally how our podcasts go. Is James and I Google stuff about four <laughs> minutes before we start recording? Well, and we talk you about do. It. James actually does the work. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I see you working. I outed there, myself there. And I, I got my phone right in it front was, of me. It was at least thirty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> so my understanding of uh, thirty sixty three, and, and forgive me, I haven't read the entire bill, so I'm I'm operating on what people have told me here. But that thirty sixty three would have removed several of the exemptions available to parents to deny their children to be able to go to school uh, if they didn't have these vaccines. But it also expanded the list of vaccines that were required. And the one that really stood out to me, and this this is what this is where it clicked in my brain, was where they were requiring Gardasil for elementary school kids. That's the uh, HPV. HPV. Yes. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So they were requiring this this vaccine for elementary school kids to be able to attend school. And my immediate reaction is, why do we need a, a sexually transmitted disease vaccine for second graders? 
first of all. And then secondly, I, I was talking to somebody uh, who's a, a future candidate here in Oregon who happens to be a neuroscientist. And she was telling me she interned with the National Institutes of Health and worked on vaccines. And her information is that only four out of the 22 known strains of HPV are even covered by this vaccine. So it's not even effective. So what are we doing here, right? Well, the other thing is that the purpose of having mandatory vaccines to attend school is you don't want the school to become a Petri dish where these things are just spread like wildfire. Right. Measles, you know, polio, those those type of things are spread just through the air, through through touching. I, I don't. I mean, various different ways. But mm. HPV seems interesting because that so, shouldn't be passed in school. It, <laughs> well, so and that's. I don't know where you went to school. <laughs> Jeff was real busy in second grade there. Yeah. Was a little thing. So no. So that's actually interesting because that was a thing. I I lived in Texas for a number of years. Right. And I that actually was a worked big deal for, back there. Yeah. And I for a brief period, I actually worked for Rick Perry, who came under fire for signing this exact same bill right, right. with the with Gardasil, and he had he was friends with some people there, and I know he had t- like taken money from their pack or something like that. So he and, came and, under a lot of scrutiny for that. And there was some money from uh, Big Pharma that was part of his campaign, so that was a big deal, right? And then he ended up uh, apologizing for that after the fact, right? I yeah, and that's I I think this was one of those things where he he thought he was doing good public policy and was happy to take money from people that agreed with him. But yeah, then when this came to light, but I will say it is a common refrain from folks on the right that this has to it starts to happen very very early on like in second grade because that's two reasons because a it's a multi-year process like it's not just like one shot where you go and you get the thing it's like oh you're good to go it's not saying okay you're in sec you're in second grade we trust you to go be sexually active now because you've got this shot <laughs> right so that's one Nothing step. bad could happen now <laughs> exactly and that's and b it's the the second part of that is because that is the that's the age when you have to start getting these inoculations so that if you do become sexually active at 15 or 16 or 17 or 18 or whenever whenever you choose to that's when you have to do it if you wait to the point at which you are sexually active to try to get inoculated against hpv you've waited too long fair enough i i get that and you know i'm a guy that's pro vaccine i think that mm-hmm. vaccines are one of the great success stories of the 20th century the, the science is pretty obvious you know we eradicated polio and that that's a pretty big yeah. freaking deal for a century you know huge deal cheers to so, jonas salk yeah if you guys had a beer in front of you i, I know, could cheers I know, to you yeah. uh, we, we missed our opportunity but <laughs> i have my degree in zoology i i'm a science guy i believe in vaccines you know but when i saw the list of all of the different things that were required on this uh, in this bill it really set me back you know there's mm-hmm. a a list that oregonians for medical freedom put out that lists you know, what was required to attend school in 1970, 1980, 1990, and 2018. And the list is like this long. I mean, it's as long as this table. Out and of curiosity, which vaccinations that are on the list for 2018 existed in 1970? Fair enough. Yeah, that's also a good point. But to uh, James's point, you mentioned earlier uh, talking about turning our uh, schools into Petri dishes. Well, mm-hmm. that's kind of what they are to begin with. You guys aren't parents yet, but I, I've got a 13-year-old and an 8-year-old, and so I've had every disease under the sun because they bring it home from school, you know? My wife is a fifth-grade teacher. Well, and there she, you go. Every yeah, single, so. every year she gets thrown up on and oh, yeah, spit sure. on and coughed on and everything. Yeah, it's, it's worse than ER, you know? It's, it really <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, there, there's this other, there's this countervailing theory about, it's the hygiene theory where if we keep our kids too clean and we don't allow them to play in the dirt and eat mud and, and mm. get the normal childhood diseases, their immune systems don't build up over their lifetimes and they're, they're less likely to be able to ward off a disease in the future. Well, I think that's what the vaccines do though, is it boosts the immune system by exposing you to those diseases right, right. well it depends you know some some of it's live vaccine and some of it's uh, a dead vaccine so it, yeah. it, it depends on which vaccine you're talking about that really is a thing and there's yeah. there's studies from like people who work in hospitals that are only ever using like germex and an antibacterial soap instead of just like a normal like soft soap or whatever right that's you have a you are more likely to get colds when you go out into the world and I'm proof positive of that. I worked at home for the last couple of years. And when I started going out, just taking meetings with regular people and going out and like hanging out, it's like, oh, I'm not just hanging out with my dog. I've only <laughs> been inoculated against myself for the last three years. Never once had a head cold. Yeah. But now I gave a speech. Uh, I think you were there a couple of weeks ago and I had a 103 degree fever. <laughs> I almost passed out right after that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, it sounds like, I mean, there were a lot of issues with this bill. I am pro-vaccine as well. Right. Uh, I think that it is mandatory for herd immunity and for preventing these restrictable diseases. Uh, my big issue with the, with this particular bill was that it removes the religious exemption yeah. from that. Yep. And as, as a religious person myself, I think that is hugely important. Sure. I think there were a lot of Russian Orthodox that mm -hmm. uh, really came out against this bill as well as I believe Christian scientists, maybe I don't. I'm not sure how Jehovah's Witnesses if they. Are. James is looking at me right I, now. I don't I, know why I'm the guy to <laughs> yeah. answer the Jehovah's Witness question. Um, there, last, there are last time we talked about this uh, <laughs> offline, you you were uh, bouncing JWs off me as well. I don't know. I, I forget. I apologize to the Jehovah's Witnesses who may be listening. I, I am not. There are sects of Christianity who believe that vaccination is wrong. Yes, for various reasons, mm -hmm. and taking away that exemption from them, I believe is wrong. Well, it's a clear violation of the First Amendment. Yeah. Uh, protections against practicing your religion. Right. Yeah. Well, here's my other thing. This actually goes to the point that there are two classes of religious freedom in the U.S. And this is going a little bit off topic, but that's okay. Not necessarily. I, I think the, I know where you're going with this. Nothing is off topic if, on this podcast. <laughs> if, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, if vaccines were made with pork products... Do you think that the liberals would have passed this bill? It's a very interesting question, right? It, Not it, at all. They wouldn't yeah. have dared. Right. Because if you are forcing Muslims to get injected with pork products, yeah. they, this, this would have been dead in the water. Yeah. But if it's offending Christians, no problem. No, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. And, and this goes to my larger point about this bill. It's, it's such a huge overreach of government. Yeah. And I don't care what side of the issue you fall on. You should be very afraid of the government having that much power and picking winners and losers. And you want to talk about picking winners and losers. You know, if you set up two classes, like we see the government do all the time, you know, mm -hmm. you can't sue the government, for instance, because they set up different rules for themselves. You know, it's the same thing. When they set up different rules for different classes of people, then you've completely subverted the rule of law. You've completely subverted the Constitution. And that's just not. American. That's not what we stand for. So if I could just for a second play devil's advocate and pun very much intended with that term because I'm about to say something <laughs> that's very anti-religious. 
there is a and probably loyally too right (laughs) (laughs) no if it's coming from james yes if it's coming from me (laughs) no i'm just i'm shooting from the hip on this one (laughs) i think that when the supreme court case about the bakery in colorado that would not bake a cake for a same-sex wedding they held that that was that bakery's right because it was their sincerely held religious belief and i personally believe that if it is your sincerely held religious belief that for some reason you are opposed to having a vaccination i'm catholic i don't think that any catholic doctrine anywhere says i can't get vaccinated so i'm not going to go into the theology of why that would be that your religion says that Mm -hmm. but if that is your sincerely held religious belief then that merits being exempted from this bill but i'd like to ask you all do you think that that opens the door then to somebody manipulating the system there's an episode of the simpsons where homer says he founds his own religion and he keeps calling in sick every day he's like oh it's a religious holiday it's religious holiday (laughs) and there's nothing that mr burns can do i celebrate by laying on my couch and drinking beer he he called from moe's he called from the bar (laughs) and that's and and i like there is i think there's always going to be that window of your you screw people who have sincerely held religious beliefs or you allow and, and incentivize, Listen, man, in some I, cases, people to take advantage of the system. A free society is scary, right? You're always going to have scammers. But I would rather err on the side of protecting liberty than punishing people who are scumbags. To the full ex- extent of the law, we should punish the people who are scumbags. You're here. But not at the expense of liberty. Totally That's a fair agree. point. Yeah, totally agree. So I think what we as Republicans should have done in this case is rather than just fight this bill tooth and nail is try to amend it, add in that religious exemption, maybe get rid of the HPV. Because, again, the purpose is to avoid these things spreading within well, a very close environment, which is not is not how HPV is spread. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's, it's a pretty close environment. <laughs> <laughs> it's an intimate environment. Yeah. So, <laughs> a sensor half this. <laughs> so didn't say any swear words. <laughs> The problem is that it's not just a couple of things. It's a, it's a massive expansion. And let's remember that it goes back to a, a crisis, right? A never let a crisis go to waste, as Rahm Emanuel told us. So this crisis was a measles outbreak in Clark County, mm-hmm. which I'll remind you is in Washington. Just across the border. Right. Yep. Yep. And, and it, 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 it did end up spreading, but I think there were 75 confirmed cases of measles. I don't remember. It was, it was less, a lot. Yeah. It was, it was less than a hundred. Yeah. How many people live in Clark County? How many hundreds of thousands of people live in Clark County? There were 75 cases. And you go back to generations ago and people talk about how they would have measles parties to get their kids inoculated with the real thing so that they wouldn't have to worry about it after kindergarten, you know? So, well, I did that as with, with chickenpox. Right. The chickenpox vaccine yes. didn't come out until I got, after. I got chickenpox in the eighth grade and it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was probably five or six, but we had chickenpox parties as well because the vaccine wasn't out yet. Yeah. And, and I'll give you was. another one. You know, I'll, I'll give you another one. The flu vaccine. I've never gotten a flu vaccine. And the one time my doctor actually talked me talked me into it against my will to get the pneumococcal vaccine, the um, pneumonia vaccine. Hmm. I got deathly ill. And I was like, screw this, I'm never doing it again. But I, I find the flu vaccine to be completely pointless. They are hit and miss at best at finding which of the strains is going to be popular. There's no way to create herd immunity against influenza. And so I think that one's completely pointless and I've never gotten it. So to have my kids required to get a flu vaccine that doesn't 
it have any effectiveness whatsoever, I think is wrong. I, I think, you know, a flu vaccine for uh, elderly people, people with lung conditions, that kind of stuff, that makes sense for those people. But to make it mandatory for the entire population is not effective. So that, I think, was an interesting jump because you you just went from... Well, I've it's, got a lot of objections. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, you just went from the flu vaccine is is hit and miss to it's completely ineffective. And... I had a friend in, we were in middle school or high school, and he says, my dad will only buy cars from the 70s. And I said, well, why is that? And he, he had like an old like Ford Mercury or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you look around and you see the cars from the 70s are still running. And it's like, yeah, anytime you look around and you, you're driving by and there's a car from the 70s and it's like, wow, yeah, look at that. It is still running. And what's missing from that equation is the fact that there are thousands and millions Certainly. of cars from the 70s yeah. that aren't still running it's just you don't see those because they're all in junkyards or I will garages somewhere. freely admit that that's empirical evidence it's it's anecdotal it's not statistically significant in any way but that's my firmly held belief and i'll create a religion around it if i have <laughs> you and homer simpson <laughs> and that's and i mean that's completely fair but i think that that's curious because i'm i'm honestly in the same boat as you i've I don't have any philosophical objections. I just don't like getting shots and I don't want to go out of my way to go to a Walgreens and spend the $10 to get a flu shot. So it also happened to me one time in my life. I did get a flu shot. I was in like 10th grade or something like that. And I got deathly ill. And I, for many years, I had myself convinced that it was just, Oh my God, I got this shot and it was Mm -hmm. such a bad Mm -hmm. idea. And when in fact that might have protected me against one or 10 or 50 strains of the flu and you're not, Superman, you're you're still susceptible to something. Right. And I will say on the other side of that coin, the day after I proposed to my now wife, she got a hundred five degree fever and missed school for a week. At school again, she's a teacher. She, she went in and clearly had, knew she made a mistake. Yeah. Right. Well, I wonder. Well, and this was I wanted to work this into our vows, but like we we took the for better or worse thing. She put that to the test real fast, like right out of the gate. But we went to the doctors later that week, and the the nurse said, "Yeah, you have influenza B, and this is you probably should have gotten your shot this year because yeah. this would have been an easily fixable thing." And that's for ten dollars and the minor inconvenience of going to get a shot. Like even if it's and it's nothing's ever a zero or a hundred percent chance. This sure. is. Sure. You know, this is in the aggregate. There's statistics. But if that reduced the likelihood of her knocking her out like that for a week of literally I was worrying if she was going to die, if I had to rush her to the hospital or call an ambulance or whatever, I think that that's worth it. Fair enough. And reasonable minds can disagree on that that particular example. But I think in well, aggregate- so you're assuming again that I'm reasonable. That's that's a well, stretch. Uh, no, I, I'm certainly not. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all fired up over here. I was going to be controversial over this, but um, no, I I think in aggregate, you know, you, you look at this bill, and I think it's a huge governmental overreach. And I think that what you saw the results of this, it wasn't just hardcore, uh, you know, fringe Republicans or fringe conservatives that never joined society that got fired up over this. We got reports at the Oregon Republican Party, and, and for full disclosure, I sit on the executive committee of the Oregon Republican Party. We got massive re- reports of people switching from a Democrat to Republican over the opposition to this bill. Hmm. I mean, thousands, thousands of people. Do they vote? 
Well, uh, here's here's the other anecdote I have for you that is indicative. It's not statistically significant yet, <laughs> but it's indicative. We got contacted by the Russian and Slavic communities in Oregon. Right. And we just heard Brian Boquist talk about that this evening, right? That they got overwhelmed by these people coming to the Capitol. And the, he noted that the, the news reported it was a few hundred people, and it was 7,000 people that showed up. Wow. And they were there to tell their legislators they didn't want this. And we heard stories, you know, people would tell us stories that I came from the former Soviet Union and they didn't require us to take all these vaccines. You know, this is a massive overreach of government. And the, the point is, two anecdotes. One is that we heard from elders in the Russian Orthodox Church that they had for years to told their people not to get involved in politics, not to vote, not to run for office. Now they are, because of this bill, they are telling their people get involved get, vote get run for office and there are hundreds of thousands of these people in Oregon mm. so from a strategic standpoint this is a huge opportunity for us if we play it right we have to come out as being reasonable and pro science but also pro liberty pro freedom and pro medical freedom Do we have to come out as being rational maybe <laughs> <laughs> What an interesting concept. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Shameless plug. It's almost like it's, we try to throw that into every episode. I don't know. I, what a good I really idea. Do. Hey, by the way, did you know I wrote a book? <laughs> I, I, what's it called again? It's Something called about Behind the Curtain. Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. I also have a podcast, by the way. <laughs> one one breath, Jeff got that out with. That's, That's right. Very... I, I've been practicing. <laughs> so what do we have to say about the un? Not oh, uh, but the let me go back. I, I didn't give you my other anecdote. We'll go back to this question. But the other anecdote is that Yamhill County had a particularly active activist who was really fired up about this issue. And she was a Democrat and she didn't know that there were county parties that existed. Hmm. And so she contacted the ORP and, and figured out that she lives in Yamhill County and there's a Yamhill County Republican Party. And I don't know how many PCPs they have down there. It's, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100, I guess. And she personally got 80 new precinct committee persons signed up. Eight wow. zero precinct com committee persons signed up for this county party because this is such a powerful issue that people from former communist states really fear the loss of their liberty. And okay, back to your <laughs> right, question. Back to yes. my question. Yeah. The, uh, the negative externalities of people not vaccinating their kids. Right. So by vaccination, you get this herd immunity, which means that if someone does get infected, it doesn't spread anywhere. It just dies mm -hmm. with that person, and hopefully the person doesn't die with the disease. But the, dis <laughs> the disease hopefully dies See, with the person. I'm not um, going to say anything about that. Uh. This, <laughs> I was looking at measles numbers, and prior to the measles vaccine, there were between three and four million people who got measles every year. Mm. Three and four million. Mm -hmm. After the vaccine program, it's down below a thousand. So far in 2019, I believe there were 700, and this is the highest it's been in decades. Mm -hmm. So less than a thousand. From three to four million to less than a thousand. So even though the measles vaccine is only between 93 and 97 percent effective for each individual person, mm -hmm. when the collective all gets vaccinated. And you it know, I itch when you say the word collective, right? <laughs> <laughs> it becomes 99.98 percent effective. Sure. For the whole 
mm-hmm. people. And there, so th- there is some question about uh, the, the statistics about uh, herd immunity and whether it exists or not or to what extent. I, I've, I've heard arguments on both sides, but I, I generally accept the idea of herd immunity. Um, and I, you know, but I would point out that you said that there were three to four million cases of measles prior to the vaccine program and that started what in the 60s 60s yeah so it, when our population was two-thirds what it is now and now we get a thousand or so nationwide and a and a As crisis a yeah. and, a, and a crisis that was caused by too many people claiming exemptions to mandatory vaccinations created a situation where we have about 700 when we should have about 500 if you if you track yearly annual statistics, right? So the the emergency may have been a bit overblown. That's <laughs> <laughs> a joke. Um, <laughs> however, there are people who cannot get vaccinated because they have medical conditions. They're going through chemotherapy. They have immune issues. They have allergies to certain things in those vac- vaccines. They rely on herd immunity, yes. to stay safe. That's and a, so. Those not, people could not go to Clark County when this was. Or to on. the Blazers game where that uh, person was discovered to have measles there. Right. So yeah. Hospitals. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a, like, I can't imagine being in that situation where you already have a compromised immune system where measles will likely kill you. Mm-hmm. And now you have to lock yourself in your house because Karen didn't vaccinate her kids. <laughs> it's always Karen's fault. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> well played. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you an example of that because I agree with you on that issue. Eric Erickson, who uh, was co-founder of Red State, now writes for or founded The Resurgent, has a radio program. Uh, his wife is going through chemotherapy. And so he's... 100% like I'm Christian conservative. I'm as conservative as it gets. And you people have to stop being anti-vaxxers and everybody get vaccine vaccinated. And I agree with that. Uh, you know, to lessen the exposure of anti- antibody or antigens that are going to kill people with uh, compromised immune systems, that, that makes sense. That's kind mm-hmm. of a social responsibility, right? Yep. So, uh, but. At the same time, when you've got this bill that is such a, an overreach in, in the state of Oregon, I think that uh, a compromise could be reached somewhere. So I guess that's the question. You know, if we all agree vaccines are a good thing, at what point is it just a social responsibility and at what point do you, do you mandate it? And well, I'm asking the question. Yeah, I, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's worth debating. For me, I always go back first to individual liberty and then to everything else that surrounds my bubble of individual liberty, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's why the Constitution was written. It protects the rights of the smallest minority ever known to man, the individual. So that's my framework for looking at this. And I think there's a compromise to say, all right, we can have reasonable. The other thing about this bill, by the way, that I I forgot to mention is that there were lots of folks who objected to it, not on religious grounds, but because the authority to determine what the exemptions would be would go to the Oregon Health Authority, Mm -hmm. not to doctors, not to the primary care physicians, not to the doctors that see the patients every day, but some bureaucrat over at the Lloyd District. You know, uh, some bureaucrat that uh, makes this list based on what Governor Brown tells him to do, you know? So I heard the reason for that was because they had instances where physicians were being paid for their exemptions, similar to what they did with the medical marijuana cards right, right, right. before it became legal, was you just go to your doctor and say, I need a medical exemption for this. And I'm stressed out, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they, they were seeing a rise in that sort of thing, and I think that's why they tried to centralize it. 
I don't think that's a good thing. I, I agree with you. I think that giving that to the physician who sees the people on a regular basis rather than a bureaucrat and has either of y'all watched Chernobyl yet? I haven't had a chance. I've heard a lot about it. the first episode. All right. If, if you get a chance, man, like go through it. That's five of the best hours of television I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Honestly, that's something where I could get behind you on this argument is not having the doctors make the decisions, but having the, like having some bureaucrat from the OHA in charge. Cause this is exactly what happened in Chernobyl. The, in, you didn't have the scientists the making the exactly. decisions. Exactly. You had yeah. the state party men at just going through and arbitrarily making decisions. Just look decisions. up Lysenkoism, right? What caused the Ukrainian famine of the thirties, which was this guy Lysenko was a, a geneticist, but he believed that he had created crops that were, you know, uh, had all the communist Soviet traits that uh, would overcome the cold and rejected actual genetic science and all of the crops died and 10 million people died in this famine because of their belief in their philosophy over the actual science. So it's the same thing that you're talking about with Chernobyl. Yeah. Ukraine had a man-made famine, right. in, which is just almost unfathomable. But these are the things that can happen when you let the government make these types of decisions and i'm not because they're not making them for scientific decisions they're making the government only ever makes decisions to further its own interests and keep itself going and, and, and i like i i was on newt bueller's staff i actively worked to unseat kate brown mm. she won and i'm not saying that she is the same type of person as a soviet party man in the the <laughs> 30s or the you 70s sure? the 80s of Chernobyl. we just came from a meeting where i think I, we might disagree <laughs> so, with you some of those folks there but they probably <laughs> would why I go every month. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's God bless them. They're entitled to their opinion. But there is the old adage is true. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. And there are a lot of people and I like I'm still pro this bill, but I think that there are a lot of things that the government could do because people should do this and just have it wind up being absolutely god awful. I got right. a my brother mentioned this. He says, Do you believe shoes are a good thing? Do you believe that everybody should have shoes? Yeah, of course. You know, everybody should have shoes. All right. Now it's mandated. Everybody needs shoes. Now the government's going to pay for it. Right. Do you think that's right? Well, that's what no. Portland just did with uh, 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 the rent control. Or, uh, sorry, the state. Yeah. Uh, statewide exactly. rent control. Just, yeah. just because a thing is good doesn't mean the government should provide it. It doesn't mean the government should pay for it. Right. Free enterprise, like you should, you should pay for these things yourself. Just because a thing that is is good doesn't mean it has to be mandated. And is it good for everybody? Yeah. Hey, maybe I like walking around my lawn without my shoes on. You're gonna send the cops to me to uh, make me put my shoes back on? I, you know, yeah. that's it, it's an extreme example, but yes. it's not that far fetched. If you wear Crocs or something, yeah, I'd send the cops after you. <laughs> it's a fair point. We can all agree on that. That's true. So anyway, I think the intentions behind this bill were good. In principle, I see where they're trying to go. I don't like the government overreach, and I think there are a lot of problems with the way it was worded and the things that they added to it. I don't know. I guess I'm still undecided on this. I've gone both ways. At first, I was like, government overreach, and then I was like, no, vaccines are a good thing, and then government overreach, and I've gone back and forth on this. <laughs> I don't know where I stand. So that, so I think we're going to have three different opinions at the, the three of us on this table, because I, I will agree with both of you that, yes, this is an example of government overreach. This is an example of government dictating, here is what's best. Objectively, it's a good thing. 
it is a good thing if more people have more vaccinations and prevent more diseases. There's less sick time. There's less diseases. There's less deaths. Objectively, we all agree that that's a good thing. The question yes. is just, does this turn into a the government reaching too much? I think this is a great example of the Democrats had a chance to bring Republicans to the table. They could have sacrificed some of the things in the bill, like the religious exemption, that maybe would have upset some of their own people, but would have been great as a way to to engage in a bipartisan effort to do what is objectively a good thing, and they chose not to do that. Well, there's several reasons why they chose not to do that. One is that they were just trying to expand their power. That's what they do. Let's remember that the Oregon Health Authority was set up under the auspices of Obamacare, which purported to allow you to keep your doctor and not pay a hell of a lot of money, which was both of which were lies. But the, the point was you could keep your doctor and all of the decisions you make would be between yourself and your doctor, and the government was supposedly going to remove the burden of paying for that or being thrown into debt because you don't have proper insurance. It's all a train wreck, and really what ended up happening is that you expanded government control over healthcare and you removed the decision-making process between the patient and the doctor. And so that's, it's been a perverse effect of, of, of Obamacare. And that's exactly what they want to do on the state level is they want to remove your ability to consult with your own doctor. And that's where you get back to the, the old adage that if uh, liberals ideas are so great, why are they mandatory? You know, you go to your doctor and you get the best medical advice and you make the best medical decision you can for your family, period. Why does the government have any say at all? Why indeed? That's a fair point. Because there's a lot of misinformation out there, I would say. That, with, with doctors? I, okay. Not, not with <laughs> doctors, but you can go into your doctor and say, I don't want a vaccine because I read on Facebook that it causes autism, <laughs> which is not true, by the way. It's been disproven a number of times. Yes. But you can go in and say that, and your doctor then has a choice to either try to convince you or they can't force you to get the vaccine. So you either have a discussion. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of misinformation out there, especially in the age of the internet that is misinformative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 wow, so. dude. <laughs> I, Hashtag I, analysis. <laughs> I think I would be pro this bill if they got rid of the religious exemption. If they, or they added it back in, added that if you have a religious exemption or a you, medical exemption, because well, medical, I mean, I've got a very good friend whose daughter is, you know, was born with her esophagus not connected to her stomach, and she had to have all kinds of surgeries, and she's got all kinds of sensitivities, and she can't have any of these these vaccines, and she can't get a medical exemption for it, you know. So oh, really, yeah, interesting, yeah. I mean, th there are lots of examples out there where uh, the science is actually on our side here. So, I mean, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Med medical and religious. I could I could get behind that. Yeah, that's I honestly I thought that uh, having a medical exemption was already a part of this because that's obviously like that's Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, but it's asinine. It's, it's, it's through the, a bureaucracy through yeah. the OHA. Yeah, you know, they they have a list and you know, they have a chart and and that's it. And you know, it's a, it's in a database and and you know, there's no medical examination required. Comrade Kate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So anyway, the bill's dead for now. Uh, we fully expect that it'll be back yes. in the next session because yeah. that was the agreement is that they would kill it for this session. 
but you cannot bind future legislatures. So the legislature a year from now is fully well, able to bring it back in. And we've seen the Democrats have already come out and said, I didn't even know this deal was going to be made. Uh, hell yeah, I'm going to bring it back next time. So oh, of course. <laughs> uh, gun bills too. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. But we're going into, and this is where we have an opportunity. If we, you know, thought leaders and consultants and candidates and activists on the right can uh, come up with the right message and, and the right pathway forward on this bill, there's a huge ground swell of people that are really mad about this that will support our candidates if we tell them i will be very interested to see if that is the case because if it is that is a fantastically good uh, side effect of of the democrats pushing through a a a very an overreach that people wouldn't even bill they wouldn't even notice and that's and i think that's exactly it so many of uh, there there's this was such an unexpected opportunity yeah Yeah, you you can tell i watch a lot of tv there's a lot of (laughs) there's an there's a movie on hbo right now about brexit and it's like benedict cumberbatch is like the data guy or whatever who who leads the leave campaign also if you guys when you when you finish chernobyl watch the brexit movie because, that yeah that that's really also good. very good i don't have hbo and that's um like, you got to find a password just like just just <laughs> give for, me yours just for <laughs> i well i'm stealing my <laughs> 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 who's already stealing it from somebody else otherwise i'd give it to you i i only signed up for game of thrones as soon as game <laughs> of thrones is over right, I ended yeah, it, right, but right. like in between episodes i watched You're the brexit like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'll, I'll i'll ask rod if i can get you one i'll get you one because it's worth it for chernobyl and the brexit movie there you go but the point is going through is and they like they lean on Cambridge Analytica or whatever. And I think that is those guys were far less effective at delivering the results that they had promised to deliver. But in general, the premise of Brexit is that it's not about there's a 100,000 people who vote or 10 people who vote or a million people who vote or whatever. In every election, we need to win half of them plus one. Mm-hmm. It's about saying there's. 10 million, 50 million, 100 million people who don't vote in every election. We need to go reach them and we need to convince them on our side and we need to make them activists for our cause. And that's exactly what they did. And that's exactly why Britain is leaving the EU or is in the process of it right now. Who knows what's going to happen between now and the end of October? But that's that could be the tipping point in Oregon elections for Republicans. There, There's a lot of voters out there who don't yet vote. There are several of these issues that are very strategically important to us because they are 70 or 80 percent issues where everybody agrees. And we've heard this uh, at this meeting before. The tolling issue around I-5 is, is 80 percent of Portlanders hate the idea. The gas tax. We just heard that tonight, you know, 70 or 80 people, percent of people hate that idea. So there, there are uh, the ID cards for illegal aliens. Uh, um, we heard Brian Boquist say that when they pulled it, it was 50, 50 in his district and they came out to vote 70% against driver's cards for illegals when it came out in 2014 on the, on the ballot. So there are a lot of these issues where we're not taking full advantage as a party, as the Republican party in Oregon and the candidates are not taking advantage of these issues for a variety of reasons mm-hmm. um, but there are a lot of these things that if we if we could just coalesce around the proper message and and everybody would run on the same message and be force multipliers on this whole thing then we could actually win elections in oregon and we're not doing it well we also need to be careful not to come out as anti-science of course and this has been a thing of mine in my opinion we have been on the wrong side of climate change for a long time and finally some republicans are starting to come around but th- this has been we've been a laughing stock of of mainstream for a long time over climate change. I know you probably disagree with me on this, but 
Probably. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> we can disagree. I was um, going to say, you want to record another segment here? Gonna, uh, James just is gesticulated very dismissively. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> but the science is firmly in, in favor of vaccines. And there are some in the party who are taking this to the next step. And, and instead of saying this is about government overreach and it's about a badly written bill, and they're just saying vaccines are bad. Yeah. And that is too far and it's anti-science. And that's the type of thing that, that I think we need to be careful of if we come out as against this type of thing. I, I, well, I, I was going to say, I think that there is room to, I don't oppose this bill, but I think there is room to oppose this bill and still be pro-science I, and, and still make the cogent argument. Because I think on a lot of issues... Science is on the side of the conservatives, and yet we let ourselves get tagged as the anti-science party far more often than not. And we just kind of lean into it, and we're the Donald Trumps, and we it's fake news and whatever. It's, we're the we're the no on this bill party, rather than this is a bill with a good idea that needs to be tweaked. We come out and we smash it. And what that is spun by the media and by the left is that oh, we're anti-vaccine, we're anti-science. So we well, need to be more nuanced with our messaging. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that because uh, it was Calvin Coolidge who said that it is far more important to uh, stop bad legislation than it is to pass good legislation. Calvin Coolidge, best bread of the 20th century, absolutely. Changed my mind. So I I agree with you, but our messaging was no on this bill. That I mean, that's what I saw on Facebook. That's why I saw sure. everywhere. And, and well, and and let's let's think about this though. Uh, if my numbers are correct. And I'm sure they are. Uh, <laughs> the there are thousands and thousands of people who switched registration, or or at least are sympathetic to listening to us because they showed up at Salem to say no on this bill. Yeah. Uh, they signed up as PCPs in counties uh, all across Oregon. Uh, we have we have community leaders telling their flocks, their their religious organizations, everybody uh, now get involved in the political process because of this bill. Mm-hmm. So. So uh, there, there is a certain power to being no on really crappy legislation. Now, yes, you're absolutely right. I disagree with you on climate change, but I also disagree <laughs> with you that we, we come off as the party of anti-science. We come off as the party of anti-science because we allow the Democrats to frame the narrative. We don't, we don't fight back with our own facts. We just get cowed by... Uh, what, what do we, how do we message to the people who believe in climate change? You don't, you don't, you just don't. You tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may and you show leadership on the issue. So that's where I, I disagree with you on the issue of climate change. Never mind the science, but sure. I think we, we get branded as the anti-science party because we don't stand up enough and say, no, this is factually incorrect. Here are the facts. Fair. All right. On that, I think we're going to need to wrap it up. So before we go, we I was have- going to say, yeah, before we go, we go ask ahead. we ask each of our guests, who is your favorite Republican? My favorite Republican right now or ever? Ever. Or you, you could, could you, you could do you, both. Yeah. You could do a twofer. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I uh, you guys probably know I worked on the Ted Cruz campaign, the, the presidential campaign. I was a deputy state director, so I'm I'm a big fan of his. Uh, Mike Lee's another one that's a huge influence of mine. Uh, Clarence Thomas. Go back to Abraham Lincoln, and um, I would also like to. Uh, I would like to think that George Washington would be a member of our party. He's here, a here. Wig. He's a Whig, right? Well, so, yeah. So there you go. I mean, he was the pre- predecessor. Time, but then, yeah. yeah. So I'm a constitutionalist first, and a 
a Tea Party or second and a Republican third. So, uh, you know, that's that's my perspective on things. I, I go back to the original intent of the Constitution. So I want to believe that uh, George Washington would be somebody who would join a party that tries to align itself as best it can to the original intent of the Constitution. Got it. All right. Very well, cool. do you want to plug your book one more time? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's behind the curtain inside the network of progressive billionaires and their campaign to undermine democracy. It can be found at the website whoownsthedems.com. All right. And with that, we're going to end. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, James. And listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to The Rational Republican. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting service, or you can listen on our website, jamesaball.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, and if you're feeling extra generous, you can visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash rationalrepublican. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.